God and the authority of the name of Jesus. We bless you and we praise you for this opportunity to get into your word on this evening. Lord, we pray let revelation knowledge flow freely, unchecked and uninterrupted by any satanic or demonic force. I pray, Lord, that you would indeed speak through my vocal cords and think through my mind. None of me, all of you. I pray for articulation of your heart. I pray also, Lord, for the gifts of the Spirit to be in operation on this evening. It's in Jesus' name we pray, and everyone did say amen. Let's make this confession of our faith. Say, Father, I've come to receive revelation, wisdom, and understanding from your holy word. And I fully expect the Holy Spirit to bear witness with my spirit concerning revelation of the word and how to apply it in my life on a daily basis. Amen. Proverbs chapter 13. Proverbs chapter 13. None of these are in this slide, but I just want to make quick reference to some of these areas because again, I want to emphasize that we are reading 31 days of wisdom. 31 days of wisdom. 31 chapters. 31 days out of the book of Proverbs for the month of January. And if you would notice in the New Living Translation, the first scripture in verse uh, chapter 13 says, A wise child accepts a parent's discipline. A mocker refuses to listen to correction. And it says, Wise words will win you a good meal. But treacherous people have an appetite for violence. So she, he says that a wise child accepts a parent's discipline. Wisdom is found in accepting the discipline of your mother and your father. It is not, it might not seem wise when you're going through it, but in fact it is wise. One is a reflection of the fact that your parents love you, and it's also a reflection of the fact that you are showing wisdom when you submit to people that know more than you. Scripture goes on to say in verse number four, lazy people want much but get little, but those who work hard will prosper. You never win being lazy. Amen. Never win being lazy. Let's drop down some more. Verse number seven, some people are poor and pretend to be rich. Is that not the truth? Some people are poor and pretend to be rich. Others are rich and pretend to be poor. I, you know, I have some people in my life that, you know, dear God, they're quite wealthy. But if you didn't know better, the way they talk, they talk quite poor. Let's keep going. Verse number nine. The life of the godly is full of light and joy, but the light of the wicked will be snuffed out. Verse 10. Pride leads to conflict. Who takes advice are wise. Those who take advice, he says, are wise. Just pointing out a couple of these scriptures again, because this is the 13th day of January in Proverbs. Verse number 16, another one, let's, let's see that one out of the New Living Translation. It's another reason why I said find the translation that you understand, because the King James does read these scriptures a little differently. It says, wise people think before they act, but fools, he says, fools don't, and even brag about their foolishness. Even brag about their foolishness. Back up to verse number three. I think this is important, and this is something that I'm learning in my own life as well. It's important in your marriage, important in business, it's important in any area of your relationship. Those who control their tongue will have a long life. Opening your mouth can ruin everything, especially if what's in your mouth is some foolishness. Amen? All right, don't shout me down now. Verse number 22, let's look at that. Good people uh, leave an inheritance. Well, we, we read that a lot. Let's back up. Trouble chases, verse 21, trouble chases sinners while blessings reward the righteous. Drop down once more uh, to verse number 24. Again, connecting with verse number one where he talks about the fact a wise person obeys the discipline of their uh, mother and father. Verse 24 kind of picks the notion up. Those who spare the rod of discipline hate their children. Those who spare the rod hate their children. Those who love their children enough to discipline them. Those who love their children care enough, I'm sorry, to discipline them. Disciplining our children is again an act of love. It might not seem like it when you're in the midst of it and they holler and everything like that. But the fact that I'm disciplining you indicates that I love you. 
Otherwise, I'll just let you do whatever you want to do. When you are a child, you automatically think, man, I wish my parents would just let me do whatever it is I want to do. When in reality, if your parents had let you do anything and everything that you wanted to do, all the mess you would have created, it would have been a display of the fact they really don't care. The fact that your parents stay on you, the fact that they look at the things that are going on in your life, and our Heavenly Father does the same thing. The fact that when you say something, God gets on you. He's showing you he loves you. The fact that, yeah, when you, when you acted funky, that you feel, all of a sudden, you feel this condemnation, you feel this conviction, rather, not condemnation, but conviction. It's the fact that God loves you, that he does discipline those he loves. Amen. All right. Now, since you have your Bibles turned to Proverbs, let's flip over to chapter 11. This is where we're going to start this evening. Proverbs chapter 11. We have been talking about, and for the sake of where we have to go, um, not going to do a lot in the way of review, but we've been talking about the prescription for a failure-proof life and understanding that success and failure is defined by God alone. We've indicated that prescription number one for a failure-proof life, therefore, is to live a lifestyle of a disciple or to embrace discipleship. And we've said, and this is on the other outlines as well, what does it mean to embrace discipleship or the call of discipleship therefore is a call to indicate that we, we said this before to place oneself in the environment in which God has intended for my growth and development. God ain't going to push you into the environment. You got to really go. We've said you have to attempt to apply, apply the lessons and the teachings that I hear from God's word, I make an attempt to incorporate this into my life. I'm not just a hearer of the word, but I'm also a doer. We also indicated it means to perceive and interpret, interpret life through the lens of God's word as truth and authoritative. Yeah, I might have saw this on Tamara Hall. I might have saw this last night listening to this guy over here. I might have heard this, but no, I let the word of God become the lens for my life in which I interpret truth. I allow God's word to have authoritative response in my life where God says this. This is the reason why, again, we started out just looking at Proverbs chapter 13, where God says this, the world might say that I choose to believe what God says over what the world says. The correct lens is important. We said the call to discipleship is a call to bear fruit, personal fruit, which is the fruit of the spirit. Love, joy, peace, long suffering, patience, in other words, kindness, goodness, meekness. These are the fruit of the spirit where God is working in you to create the character that reflects heaven. And it also means works or works of the spirit within my life. To bear fruit means good works. I'm doing good things as God has directed and assigned me. And we indicated the call to discipleship again means a call to imitate Jesus. We imitate Jesus, as we said from Luke chapter 9, 23 through 24, through self-denial, setting aside our selfish interests, through taking up our cross daily, not just some days, but daily, expressing a willingness to endure whatever comes and also to follow him, which means to conform, to believe in him and to set him as our example. Jesus, as we said before, is our standard bearer. This becomes vitally important, particularly for what the assignment to talk about tonight is. Jesus is our standard bearer. We are following him. We are imitating him. How he operates on the earth is how we are looking to operate on the earth. He says, the things I do, you should be able to do greater works than these. We use Jesus as our standard bearer. He is our savior. He is our Lord, but he also shows us how to operate in life. You may have a failure from a human, a normal person, a pastor, a friend, but Jesus will never fail you. You may have a moral failing in somebody that you thought was the greatest Christian juggernaut. It was here recently, there was a um, Christian apologist that he was a great defender of the faith. Man, he had videos, still probably does, videos on YouTube of defending the faith and, and saying all these wonderful and great things. Well, when he died, his moral failures came out. I'm not going to call the name. Yes. Apologist is someone that defends the faith in the public square. So they're able to take worldly arguments 
and show where God's truth overrides or trumps that. I actually love apologies. I, uh, apologetics is, uh, to me, is taking the gospel to the street where people are, answering them barbershop questions. Well, you think this, Reverend, well, let me, let me show you what the word says and let me show you what you're saying, how it actually doesn't follow even a line of logic. That's what apologist does. In the book of Acts, I think chapter 13, this is what Paul does. He shows up in Athens amongst a, a bunch of philosophers and he says, okay, I'm gonna stand flat-footed and I'm gonna have a salient argument in regards to different gods. A lot of Christians, that's one of the issues we have. We don't have enough knowledge to be able to take our faith outside of the four walls of the church and put forth legitimate arguments in the world system. We gotta fix that. We gotta fix that. Most of the time what church folks do is we take the arguments that we heard at church and just kind of reverberate, you know, um, what's the word? Um, um, regurgitated into the world system. And, and then we even put a little churchies on it and don't understand why the worldly person that doesn't know God doesn't respond. They're like, man, what? No, no, well, you just are the devil. Yeah, they may be, and that might be true, but it is also because you failed to make a cellulant argument in regards to the faith. There's a balance to both. And we're gonna learn, again, how to do those things as we continue to go forth, just not tonight. Again, one of the main things that people will say when they are making these arguments is they will point to a Christian that failed, right? And they say, well, you see, your God can't be all that because this person did this. Jesus is our standard better, not that person. Yeah, Reverend, what's the name, Bishop? Yeah, he did. I don't know. Yeah, he did. I'm going to smack him myself. Jesus is our standard bearer, not that person. So when you can point out the moral failures of Jesus, which you cannot, then we'll talk. <laughs> but right now you want to talk about all of the things that Christians or people that claim Christ have done. This is an argument, again, as we get into the month of February, and of course this is Dr. King's uh, holiday that's coming up. This is one of the things that particularly black ministers have to deal with here in America is how Christianity was given or ministered to black people. It was put on a plate of racism. It was coming through a lens of discrimination. It was coming through a lens of the interpretation of the slave owner. And none of these things was an accurate depiction of who Jesus is or what he said. In fact, the Bible says, I mean, in fact, if you go to Washington, they have on display the slave Bible. And it's an amazing thing. When you look at all the scriptures, they had to pull out because they didn't want these slaves seeing what the Bible actually said. They wanted them to only see Christianity through the lens that they were putting forth for them to see. Again, Jesus is our standard bearer. And unfortunately, there are still some black folks that look at Christianity through the lens of the way, just say it like that, my white man has shown Christianity and that's not what the scripture says. And so dismantling some of the psychological trauma that's taking place does take a challenge, but it also takes, again, this is an area of apologetics where we have good arguments based on the scriptures that show you that this is what Jesus is, this is what you were taught, and they don't match. This is the reason why, again, we read the Bible a lot at this church because I am discovering that a lot of people don't actually read the Bible. Have you read it for yourself? Do you see what it says? I even say, and I continue to say in this church, take my word for it to some degree. And I'll show you again because of where we're going tonight, what that degree is. But you still should do your own research in regards to looking at what does the Bible say? It's what Reverend Smith is saying doesn't match up with the book. Because if Reverend Smith doesn't preach what the book says, I gotta stick with the book and not Reverend Smith. My loyalty is to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And the moment that the pastor, the preacher is not lining up with the great shepherd. Now, I'm no longer interested in what you got to say, Reverend. Again, Jesus is our standard bearer. 
We said, what does that look like? He is our standard bearer. Jesus fulfilled the will of the Father perfectly. Jesus is our display of character. Jesus is our display of unconditional love. Jesus is our display of servanthood as leadership. He laid down his life showing us what leadership looks like. Jesus is our display of endurance. You might have had a brother that quit. There are a lot of people that I know right now, they started in the faith. They started out strong, but they, ain't, they, 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 they left God. They left him maybe 20 years ago, 30 years ago, five years ago, because something didn't happen in their life that they thought was going to happen or they got into an area of sin. Jesus is our display of endurance. How do you carry this thing from beginning to the end? Jesus is our display of the power of love through sacrifice. And he also is our display of, I'm sorry, uh, of sacrifice in and of itself. He says, in, of course, in John chapter 15 and verse 13, greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Jesus is our standard bearer. If you understand that, say amen. Now, Having said all of those things, we talked again about the anointing a little bit on Sunday, and we're going to talk about that again at another juncture, but let's move over into the meat of what I believe the assignment is tonight. Over in Proverbs chapter 11 on the uh, first page of your outline, and verses 1 through 3, Proverbs chapter 11 verses one through three. Scripture says, uh, the King James, a false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. A false balance is a abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. He says, verse number two, when pride cometh, then cometh shame. But with the lowly is wisdom, verse 3, the integrity of the upright shall guide them. But the perverseness of transgressors shall destroy them. A false balance is an abomination to the Lord. Now, why am I spending so much time talking about the fact that Jesus is our standard bearer? Because there is a thing in the Bible where... The scripture talks about spiritual authority. And we're going to look at some of those areas tonight. Spiritual authority, where we are talking in terms of the pastor, the prophet, the evangelist. And we're going to look at those areas tonight. There are, There is a designated order in the house of God. God doing everything in a level of order, in order, um, doesn't have everybody just doing anything and everything that they want to do. The day you get born again, there is spiritual authority that God has set up for you to be under. Everybody, and I'll show you this in just a little bit, is assigned somebody in their life that has some spiritual authority in their life. The question is not whether or not the assignment is there. The question is whether or not you're going to submit to the spiritual authority that God has set up in your life. So, a false balance is an abomination to the Lord. The Amplified literally says, a false balance and dishonest business practices are extremely offensive to the Lord. The issue that we have a lot of times in the body of Christ, again, when you have moral failures of ministry gifts, there is a thing that happens with when a man or woman of God falls, that the body now has a level of disarray. What happens essentially is, is the enemy gets involved in the house of the church or in the church through this area of corruption. And as the pastor falls, sometimes so many people attached to that pastor, so many people attached to that ministry move or lose their faith because of the fact they have maybe invested too much attention in the pastor instead of what the pastor is there to represent. Okay. I say again, Jesus is our standard. Now there is a level of morality and code that ministry gifts must walk in. I'm not going to show that tonight. That's not the assignment. The point is right now that there is a set of spiritual authority that God has set forth in the house. There are ranks in the kingdom of God. 
when you go to a particular job, you don't go up to generally, you know, unless you started the the uh, the uh, business yourself, you don't start at the top. You usually start at a certain level and then you work your way up over time and everything of that nature. It's only in the body of Christ it seems like people want to start at the top. They go from being just just church person to next week they're apostle, or they go from being uh, you know, I just, I was just singing in the background to next thing you know, I got to be called the right Reverend Bishop doctor. No, there's such thing called order even amongst and in the house of God. All right. So what is spiritual authority? Let's look at that. What is spiritual authority? It is found. I think the best definition can be found in Ephesians chapter four and verse 11. Scripture says this out of the New Living Translation. Now these are the gifts. These are the gifts Christ gave to the church. The apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, and the teacher. He says now and now these are the gifts Christ gave the church. So he's referring to people, but he's referring to them as gifts. The fivefold ministry, the apostle, the prophet, the evangelist, the pastor, the teacher. He says these people are given to the body of Christ as a gift to you. Why are they given to you as a gift, Paul? He says distinctly their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. So he doesn't say they just simply here for any other reason uh, other than this basic reason right here to build or to equip God's people to do his work and to build the church, the body of Christ. What he doesn't say, which is absent here, is he doesn't say they are here to give entertainment or the word entertainment literally means amusement. It means uh, or a diversion to provide, especially as a performer. In other words, I'm giving you a diversion for life. That's not my gift. That's not what I'm here to do. I'm not here to give you a hit. We're not here. Ministry gifts are not here to entertain people. Now, unfortunately, there are some that have moved to an area of entertainment. That's not the job. That's not the assignment. The assignment is, once again, go back to the scripture, to equip God's people to do his work and to build up the church, the body of Christ. It is the purpose of the fivefold ministry gift is to equip God's people to do the work of the ministry, as the King James Version of the Bible says. Fivefold ministry gifts are not intended to be devices of amusement or diversions. That's not what we're supposed to get. And unfortunately, like I said, when this happens, a lot of times you go high in church, but you live low. When the intent that God has is that when you go high, you get enough word in the height that on Monday you stay high. On Tuesday you stay high because you've been fed the word of God that you live by faith and not by amusement or a diversion. A lot of people use church as a diversion for the things of life. It's, 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 uh, I'll say that. I've seen some people use church as another hit like they would if they were at the bar. Church is not here to actually stand between you and your relationship with God. It is here to enhance your relationship with God. Does that make sense? All right, let's look at these. The apostle is an ambassador of the gospel. The word literally means sent one. It is a people that are called to start a work. Prophet is a seer. People are whom God reveals his heart concerning a matter or event in the future. The word, the evangelist is a messenger of good or a gospel preacher. The pastor is known, of course, as a shepherd, one who feeds the flock, people call to walk with the sheep. And then, of course, the teacher is known as an instructor, uh, God's kingdom trainers, if you will. Now, each one of these fivefold ministry gifts, I mean, can operate, of course, in one person at a given time. I.e., you can be an apostle sent to a special work 
in which, yes, you have to preach the gospel, which turns you into an evangelist. And after you preach the gospel, you got to walk with the sheep after they get born again, shepherding them, which makes you a pastor. And after you are shepherd the people, you in the art or in the duties of shepherding people, you teach them the word of God, which makes you a teacher. So you can operate in these different gifts at any given point, if that makes sense. You know what I mean? You can it all can flow at the same time. I want you to see this. Check this out. In one sense, a disciple, all of us are called in these fivefold ministry gifts or these fivefold ministry areas. In this sense, be an apostle means be sent to a work. So if God sends you to a work in a sense, I want you to understand this. You are an apostle in that particular office. Does that make sense? To be an apostle there, and one of the reasons why I'm, I'm spending a little time on this is because the book of Ephesians, if you look at it, is written to an audience of Greeks, which means it's written to the church holistically in its sense. So he's defining what it is to be in these fivefold ministry gifts, but also we can have some practical applications for who and what you are as a disciple of Christ. Again, if I'm an apostle or to be in an apostolic calling, you can also look at it in a sense that God has sent me to a special place. It might be a workplace. It might to start something here, to start a business. He has sent me. It is an apostolic call because he's sending me to use my faith to get something started. Does that make sense? The prophet is to have a direct vision. This is how we make this applicable to everyone. Where God shows you something, he gives you a glimpse of something that will be. So it is a prophetic gift that I have vision for something. So we, in one sense, can all operate in this area of the prophetic. When God gives you a vision of what shall be, it is to see the future that's not current in manifestation. To be an evangelist, therefore, Every believer, every born again believer is called of God to minister the gospel. All of us. There ain't one born again person on the planet to which go ye therefore and make disciples is not a commandment to us. So in one sense, once again, we are all called to be an evangelist. We are all called also to some degree to be a pastor. What is that? To walk along with people and give some levels of of guidance to give a level of guidance in other words yeah you might not be a pastor preaching at church but there are people in your life that God has sent that you have influenced with that he wants you to give guidance to and Lord willing you're giving good moral godly guidance within your life amen and last but definitely not least to some degree we can look at we're all called to be teachers, which means we are called to develop people, to develop their walk with God, to develop them academically. So in one sense, again, you can see this as five people, but we can also see this as five designations. And there are different books in regards to this area that kind of explore both areas of, of thought concerning this. One is more applicable so everybody can see themselves in these particular fivefold ministry gifts. And then also you have to understand that Paul is directly talking about five designations of people that are called to an area of spiritual authority within the church. You understand that? All right. This is Bible study. <laughs> All right. Let's keep going. Spiritual authority, again, is God's determined order for his church. Spiritual authority is God's determined order for his church. Let's look at Hebrews chapter 13, verse number 17. It's also in the outline. Uh, the Amplified Version of the Bible, it says, Obey your spiritual leaders and submit to them, recognizing, watch the word, their authority over you. For they are keeping watch over your souls and continually guarding your spiritual welfare as those who will, who will give an account of their stewardship of you. Let them do this with joy and not with grief and groan, for this would be of no benefit to you. So he says some very distinctive things here. One of the things he, he says here is the fact that you do have those that are spiritual leaders within the house of God. 
that God has set up this area of spiritual authority. He says, obey your spiritual leaders and submit to them, recognizing their authority over you for they are keeping watch for your soul. What is your soul? Your mind, your will, and your emotions. So when spiritual leadership asks you, how are you doing? We're looking out for where are you? Where are you in your mind, your will, and your emotions? Have you been spending time in the Word? Are you reading the Word? This is the job of the shepherd's ministry. To check what, what you've been thinking about. <laughs> what what, what you've been looking at? What's going on with you? Because we are called to give an account for the stewardship. What he says, he says, they're keeping watch over your souls and continually guarding your spiritual welfare as those who will, not may, but he says, will give an account of their stewardship of you. Again, one of the reasons why I'm here, regardless of who's here, is because this is the assignment. If nobody comes, he said, be here. So this is where I be. <laughs> there are people, I've said before, that are supposed to be here right now. I can't make folk go to church. Everybody decides to do what they want to do. He says, obey those that spiritual leaders and submit to them, recognizing their authority over you. That's something that you have to choose to do. Now, I'm going to come back to that scripture in just a second. So what is spiritual authority? It is, this is my definition, God's designated or appointed person or people called to lead God's people in the direction of spiritual transformation, unity of faith, and the development of personhood. It is, dare I say, the restoration of kingdom citizenship. You look in the book of Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2, there is no apostle, there is no prophet, there is no pastor, there is no teacher. Why? Because these offices are also illustrations that you need to be coached back to who you were originally before the fall. These are also indications that basically the way I see the fivefold ministry, if I could say it very, very plainly, is these are people that God has designated to coach you back to who you really are supposed or intended to be. The pastor stands and can't run the game of life for you, but he looks at your life and he says, okay, you can do this. Let me show you this. Let me show you this play right here. Everybody go out on Sunday. We're going home. Everybody put these plays into action on Sunday or Monday morning. I want you to look at this play right here. Look over here, this, this scripture over here. This is a play that we need to all put into our lives. And on Monday, I need you to put this in application. This is what the fivefold ministry gifts are supposed to be doing. Coaching you back into who you're supposed to be. It is for the restoration of your kingdom citizenship. Spiritual authority, therefore, is also established and regulated by God. Spiritual authority is established and regulated by God. Genuine spiritual authority is established by God himself. You cannot call yourself to one of these fivefold ministry gifts as a lot of people are doing. I'm prophetess this. Well, did God call you or did you call yourself? I am deacon this. Did God call you or did you call yourself? I'm pastor this. Everybody is pastor. Everybody is apostle. Did God call you or did you call yourself? Spiritual authority is established by God alone, not man. And it's regulated by God alone, not man. It's one of the reasons why when a pastor gets off, don't worry about it. God takes that personally. Pastor cussing you out in the back. Pastors think that he just cussed you out. The reality is God says that's offensive to me because those are my sheep. You say, Pastor, over there, he's sleeping with 50 women in the church. God says, no, that's offensive to me because those are my sheep. The abuse of the sheep of God, God takes direct care and personal attention to. So you never have to worry about, well, it seems like this pastor is getting away with it. No, they won't. Trust me. God takes this personally. I want you to notice, let's look at this really quick. John, turn over to John in your Bibles. I'm going to use the King James Version of the Bible. John chapter number, see we can still do Bible study one way or the other, amen. John chapter 21. Let's look at this really quick. 
I want you to notice something here. This is Jesus restoring Peter. Peter denied the Lord three times. He runs off. He goes back into the fishing business. He's on his boat. Jesus is resurrected. And Jesus now is getting ready to restore Peter because of this broken area of trust. And he says, watch this in verse number 16. And he said to him again, second time, Simon, son of Jonas, loveth thou me? So he says again, he's saying to Peter when in this restoration process, do you love me? Peter says, yea, Lord, thou know that I love thee. And he said unto them, feed my sheep. He says, verse 17, he said unto him a third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, lovest thou me? And then watch that he said, and he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things, and thou knowest that I love you. Jesus said unto him, feed my sheep. If you look that up in the actual Greek, there are three designations. One is a lamb, one is a, uh, a sheep. There are different designations of of the ages of where people are from childhood or infancy into adulthood. And Jesus says the display of your love for me is that you feed my sheep. Spiritual authority, when it is established, it is always first established with the ministry gifts, first vertical relationship with God. The reason why any ministry gift that is genuinely called of God does what they do is because they love God first. When that's out of its proper place, anything and everything is open for what happens at that church. Abuse is inevitable because they have lost first things first. Now, let's look at this for the sake of time. God literally gave me this this afternoon. I think that we need to get hold of this. Spiritual authority, watch this. Every believer has an assigned spiritual authority. Every believer, every believer. This is why I get nervous when I meet a pastor and they're not submitted to nobody. Can't, you know, who, 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 who checks your stuff? Who calls and gets into your grits? If you do not have a pastor that's submitted, then we got a problem. When you have people that are not submitted to somebody, we got a problem. God sets up spiritual authority in the body of Christ. Every believer has a spiritual authority that he has assigned in your life. Number two, the thing is, submission to that authority is never, uh, authority is never forced, but always a choice. Submission to that authority is never forced, but it's always a choice. I remember in my life before we got to doing this, one of the things that God made sure was in his proper seat is my accountability to Pastor Corbett. Until that area was, was in his proper seat, we weren't able to do this. A lot of people don't realize and recognize when you don't have the proper relationship with the spiritual authority that God has set forth in your life, he's going to withhold certain things in your life because you are an unsubmitted person. And until you finally get to a position where you realize, I got to submit to somebody too, then God says, now I can use you. But if you can't figure that out, you will stay where you are. You will never get to the place where God is ordaining for you until you understand everybody is submitted to somebody. Everybody. Everybody. But submission to authority is never forced. It's always a choice. God says, that's your guy. That's your woman. That's the person I want you to submit to. What are you going to do? The word submit literally means to yield. It means to give way. Let's go back to that same scripture. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 17 out of the King James says, obey them that have rule over you and submit yourself. The pastor can't make you submit. Whoever has the greatest, they can't make you submit. The person that God has set up maybe in your life to be a mentor to you, that has some spiritual guidance in your life, they, they can't make you submit. You have to choose to submit. He says, submit yourself for they watch over your souls. I want you to notice something. Matthew chapter four and verse 19. Jesus called to Peter. We just looked at the fact how Jesus restores Peter. When he originally calls, he says, and then he said to them, 
follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Notice what Jesus does not say. He does not say you must follow me. Come here. You got to go. You got to go where I'm going. Life and death is in my hands. You got to come this way. Jesus never uses any form of manipulation in regards to the calling of his disciples. You have to choose to submit to the spiritual authority that God has set forth in your life. Number three, spiritual authority. God sets authority. God set authority never uses, as I indicated a second ago, manipulation tactics to gain loyalty. God set authority never uses manipulation tactics to gain loyalty. Jesus never manipulated his disciples. When I'm being manipulated, the word manipulated means to be controlling or control someone or something so that you have the advantage, usually unfairly or dishonestly. You can tell when you are being manipulated. You can tell when somebody is trying to get the advantage over you. There is no place in the scripture. Now, let's just break this down for just where we are. All of us. God doesn't use manipulation tactics. Neither should we. I shouldn't be using manipulation tactics in my home to my husband or my wife to do certain things. God doesn't use manipulation tactics. Neither should I. God doesn't use manipulation tactics because he is always interested in giving the advantage, not taking the advantage. And when we're talking in terms of spiritual authority, that is what it should always look like. That ministry gifts are looking to give the advantage, not take the advantage. God said authority never uses manipulation tactics to gain loyalty. I'm manipulating you. Well, if you don't, I heard something on a podcast. If you, you know, if you say something against the pastor, it's outright heresy. We got a problem here. Because he's using a manipulation tactic in order for, to keep you in line. That's not God. Jesus never, who is our standard again? Who is our standard again? And if we don't see Jesus using manipulation tactics to get his disciples, there's no way in the world that his servants are supposed to be using manipulation tactics to get people into areas of loyalty. I remember when we, uh, the first Sunday we had service over at the Irwin Center, I was sitting on my couch and I was like, okay, well, we had a decent amount of people, but we got to work on seeing how we can get some more people. And I was starting to come up with, with some kind of way that we can get more people to come in the house and da, 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 da. And I remember distinctly the Lord said, I did not call you to do anything through gimmicks or schemes. And I said, wait a minute now, how are we supposed to get people to come to church? He said, not through gimmicks or schemes. That is not how this church will be built. You, for the assignment that God has for your life, are to live by faith. And that means, yeah, you really got to trust God. I can't come up with a gimmick or a scheme. Now, what's the difference? If God leads you to do things a certain way, it's not a gimmick or a scheme. It is God leading you in a certain direction. But see, the thing is, God examines our heart. He knows whether or not your motives are pure. Let's look at this next one, spiritual authority. Spiritual authority always operates from the motivation of love and never, never fear. You remember when we talked about the voice of God? Didn't we say that one of the voices of God is the voice of love? Y'all were there, right? Talk to me now. Never the voice of fear. So if I hear even the voice of fear that's coming out of the pulpit, I can recognize really quick, that's not God. It may be that the pastor or the ministry gift is anointed, but the moment they start giving you fear, they have moved from the spirit into the area of their flesh. And we have the ability to discern the difference between the two. Let's look at this fifth one, and then we'll get ready to close for the sake of time. Number five, spiritual authority. Submission to godly spiritual authority always strengthens. Watch this. It always strengthens your spiritual relationship and is never the cause of abandonment or the loss of faith. Why am I saying this? Because there's too many people when the pastor falls or when the ministry gift falls, all of a sudden their whole world is rotten, their faith falls. When that happens, I always want to go back and examine this, this basic truth. Who were you believing in more? 
Were you believing in the donkey that Jesus was riding or were you believing in Jesus? Sometimes the perspective is all. And what begins to happen sometimes is that the ministry gifts get so wrapped in this area of pride that they move people to begin to have more faith in them than to have faith in the God that they're preaching about. And then we begin to have a problem. Spiritual authority is always supposed to strengthen your relationship with God and never cause you to lose your faith. Because we're preaching about the God that is more powerful than the voice that you hear physically in your ears even right now. I'm preaching to you about a God that can deliver, that can set free. A God that can be with you and never leave you or forsake you. It is not pastor that is able to do that because I got to go home. I got a family. I got, bill, I got things to take care of myself. But Jesus said, I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. Jesus said, though, though, though the world ends, I'm still there with you. Our faith is always in God. And when you are in proper spiritual authority or under spiritual authority that's submitted to the chief shepherd, they always point you back to our standard bearer, which is Jesus. Submission to spiritual authority always strengthens your relationship. If I feel like my relationship with God is getting weaker and weaker, I got a question whether or not Am I one in the right place? Number two, am I submitted more to the speaker than I am to the scriptures? Who runs my life? It should not be that I follow pastor solo. I follow pastor as he follows. Paul indicates this essentially. He says, follow me as I follow Christ, which means the moment that you see me stop following Christ, you need to stop following me. The reason why you're following me is again what Paul is saying is because I'm submitted. The moment the leadership is no longer submitted, the leadership is out of place. When the leadership is out of place, everything else will begin to fall out of place as well. Spiritual authority is a part of understanding this aspect of discipleship because of the fact we don't physically have Jesus here. He's given to us the Holy Spirit that indwells us. The Holy Spirit that's a part of your inward, in, inward witness, your spirit, man. The Holy Spirit, and again, we'll show you this a little, little bit later, how you have knowledge of the spirit of truth because he lives on the inside of you. But understand this, with the Holy Spirit on the inside of you, you still, you still need somebody that you can talk with physically sometimes. You need somebody, again, God designed the order of the church, not man. You need somebody in which, yeah, that can counsel you when you're having some marital issues. You need somebody that can walk with you and join with you and unite with you in life. And that's why God sets up, as I said, these fivefold ministry gifts as an area of coaches to coach you back to who you were originally intended to be. But the choice to whether or not you're going to submit to spiritual authority is always exactly that a choice. I can't make people come to church. It's not even my job to make people come to church. My job, just like yours, is just simply to invite them. One of the things God said to me is that the moment you invite somebody to come to church, they are responsible for whatever action or reaction they make. You can't make them obey me, but you can invite them. When you invite them, it removes the ability to say, well, ain't nobody ever invited me to church. Ain't nobody invited me to do. I'm not responsible for your reaction. I'm responsible for making the ask. When we invite people to come to Jesus, I'm not responsible for whether or not you actually give your life to God. I'm responsible to go out there and tell you that you make Jesus Lord of your life. He can save you from your sins. What you do from that point is between you and heaven. Because heaven is taking note as to whether or not you're responding to what he said or you're disregarding it. That's on you. So I want to encourage you again, invite people to church. Invite people to church. Invite people to find out no more about Jesus. Invite people to grow in their spiritual walk. Invite people. They might turn you away. They might say, I'm not interested. I don't want to go particularly to that church. I'm not interested. Invite them to church. Invite them into the environment so that everyone, all of us, me included, can become what God has intended us to be. We're going to pick up some more on this, I don't know, maybe next Thursday the way it looks. Father, in the authority of the name of Jesus, we bless you and we praise you for tonight's Bible study. Lord, we decide again as an act of our will to submit to you first. 
And God, as we submit to you, we submit to your order and we submit to your assignment. We submit to your place. We submit to you in every area of our life, God. Because, Lord, we know and we recognize that through our submission, we show that we trust you. And so, Father God, we say in the name of Jesus, Lord, we trust you. We trust you with everything in our lives. We trust you with every area of our life, God. And we renew that trust even tonight. That we know you love us. And because we know you love us, Lord, we decide in Jesus' name to trust you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Everyone to say, Amen.